You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Welcome to our third service here at Westside. And uh, once again, if you guys are if if you guys are newer, maybe it's the first, second, or third week you've been here. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you uh, coming, visiting. It's not always easy to go into a new place and uh, meet people, but we sure do appreciate you. Um, we've got uh, quite a lot of stuff going. We don't. I don't usually comment on the announcements that are up there, but uh, this coming Saturday is our all church picnic. It's it's a big deal. It's not just uh, fun for us. Uh, but it, we use it as a tool. Everything we uh, have, it, we use it as a tool uh, to um, invite our family, friends, those in our sphere of influence, so that they might just get an introduction into the life of our church and see that we're not all that bad, maybe half bad, but not all that bad. It's just normal people, and uh, it's very scary for people to go to church you know, for the first time. But to invite them to a picnic, it's a wonderful opportunity uh, to outreach uh, and just use that as a way to uh, get doors opened uh, for your friends. So I'm looking forward to uh, this coming fall. Uh, God's doing something among us, and uh, I'm so glad that he is. We're growing, we're being adjusted, we're being challenged, we're being loved, we're uh, being encouraged all the time. And so uh, we're on our last Sunday today of our missed series. Over, this, over the summer, we've talked about Bible verses that have often been misquoted or misunderstood or misused uh, or abused even. And so uh, today is the last one. Uh, two weeks from today, I'm going to start a new series on Romans, the book of Romans. I'm really excited about that. And uh, next week, I have a special one-time message uh, that I just felt the Lord put on my heart this morning uh, that we'll be preaching next week. Looking forward to that. So uh, this uh, <clears throat> series that we're in, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you the verse now, but I just want to remind you, last week my son Brian preached. So if you have not listened to the first and second services last week, we usually have just one sermon during the weekend, but he preached two different ones. Uh, he felt it on his heart. I encourage you. It really is important for us in the life of the church, uh, the message that he brought in, his outside input. So I appreciate that. So, Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts this morning uh, to the word that you have for us. I pray that you would continue adjusting us and changing us, conforming us to the image of Christ. I thank you for what you've already done this morning. You've encouraged people. You've let them know that you're real and that you're here. And you've let people know that you're uh, drawing them. And you've let people uh, embrace uh, friendships and and, uh, uh, hear your voice. I pray that... Uh, Everything that's preached now will be to us as a church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew 26, 11, this is Jesus speaking. He said, you will always have the poor among you. Did you know Jesus said that? You'll always have the poor among you. This verse has been misused because people say, well, if we're always going to have the poor among us, then why should I do anything? Because they're always going to be there. That's the misuse of the verse. We're going to talk about it uh, this morning. So uh, a few years ago, when I was a principal of a Christian school in Pomona, California, uh, for quite a few years uh, on 845 East Arrow Highway, Pomona, California. I don't know why that came up. Just, I wish I could get rid of stuff and remember other stuff. Uh, 
It was an area of town that uh, once had been uh, pristine and now was, at that time in the 80s, was becoming increasingly lots of, you know, vagrants and homeless and, you know, things going by. So uh, the school that we were in, Terry was actually the receptionist there, my office manager. And uh, uh, people would come in thinking that we were a church. So over the years... Literally hundreds of times there and at the next church we were at, where I was in charge of people who walked into the office like that, uh, I heard stories very similar to this. I messed up in the back sometime. I've gotten my life together. Everything is fine because I have a job waiting for me in Portland or San Diego. And if I can only just have a few dollars to get there, Does that sound familiar? Some of you may have heard that story. I don't know if they go around writing it somewhere so that people have a a good storyline. But over the years, I got cynical. And I just kind of blew people off uh, because I heard this story over and over and over. And uh, God dealt with me. Here's how he dealt with me. He said, that's not up to you to make that decision. Jesus said... Uh, to help the poor. The Bible says to help the poor. Solomon prayed, Let's, Lord, help me help the king help the poor. Uh, the, Peter, James, and John told Paul, the apostle, uh, everything you're doing with the Gentiles is great. Remember the poor. So it's all through Scripture. Uh, and I had been judge, jury, and executioner, so to speak. Well, if I give them money, they're just going to drink it or shoot it up or something like this. Well, whether they did or didn't, I didn't give God a chance to tell me to do something or not to do something. I already had made up my mind, and so I felt the Lord uh, tell me and rebuke me uh, sharply that I need to listen to His. So over the years, uh, Terry and I, generally we don't give money out there, but if God specifically prompts us or puts it on our heart to give them, sometimes we'll give some money, but most often we'll get them a meal or a sandwich or something uh, to get or put gas in their car and things like that. We've done that uh, quite a few times. So I asked God to kind of heal me of my cynicalness uh, there, and he did. Uh, Jesus was referring way back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. He said, there will always be some in the land who are poor. This is what Jesus was referring to. This is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. So that Greek word there, the New Testament for poor, uh, we, would, we would say it in English, uh, uh, tohas. The emphasis is on the second one there. But it's a, a Greek word. There's a P there, silent P in the head, so it's pato. And it's not has, it's chas. So it's tohas. And so it, you know what it means? It means poor. So that's why that, that word is there, translated as, as the poor. So here is the same Uh, section where Jesus is saying that the poor will always be with you in context. Remember, whenever we look at Scripture, we always want to approach it in humility. We always want to uh, read from the text and not into the text. We don't take our ideas and put it into the text. We always take it in context, which is what this one is here. Uh, And we always use the whole Bible as our main commentary. Uh, Let the Bible comment on itself. And finally, and most importantly, we always apply Scripture to us. So here is the context in Mark chapter 14. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. So this guy Simon had leprosy. That was a death sentence in those days. Not only was it a long, uh, agonizing death, 
but you were ostracized from your family and your community. And so Jesus had healed this guy, and now he was in his home uh, for dinner. A while later, it says, While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from some essence of nard. You all have nard in your cupboards somewhere? We have nard there. It's really good. Uh, She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. More likely, most likely, it was Judas. He was uh, the one who portrayed Jesus. He was the one that kept the money. Uh, And so he would also pilfer. He was a thief from the money. And so he's going, why why did you do this? Uh, It could have been sold for a year's wages. And the money given to the poor. Oh, how noble. A year's wage out of the average household in California now makes $61,340 a year. Uh, That's the average household uh, in the state. So somebody's pouring a jar of something on Jesus' head, and you're going, (laughs) $61,000. Can't you go to Rite Aid and get something, you know, Chanel or something would would do, and we could sell that and finish our playground out there or something? Couldn't we do something like that? Could you... Not many of us would have uh, stood around and say, oh, how beautiful that is. You know, we probably would have been more on the like, whoa, what are you doing there? They scolded her harshly. She was a woman of the street and she had no business being there as far as they were concerned. But I'll tell you what, God loves extravagant praise. When we get outside of ourselves and worship him from the depths of our being... That honors God, and he enjoys praise. God actually enjoys praise. He loves when we give the glory and point uh, the glory to him. So Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? Jesus called it a good thing. He's not concerned about the money. He's not concerned about the value. That, that means nothing. It was her heart attitude toward him. You will always have the poor among you. Aha, there it is right there. Jesus said it. You always have the poor among you. So why should we worry about them? But it doesn't stop there. He said, and you can help them whenever you want to. See this? When you want to, that's your will. It's one of the biggest gifts that God gave us is a will. We can choose. We can choose a right or wrong. We can choose to worship God or not worship God. That's why David says in the Psalms over and over, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. That's a, that's a self-motivation talk. He's talking in the mirror. He's saying, praise the Lord, I tell myself. That's what the NLT version says. Uh, but Jesus said you can help the poor whenever you want to. But the main point comes to follow after. He says, but you will not always have me. That's the main point. You'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. That was Jesus' main point. But in the middle there, he said, you can help them whenever you want to. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. See, Jesus was going to die and he was going to be put in a tomb and within a week or so. And so he was still going to have this uh, smell, this anointing about him. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news, the good news is the gospel. The good news is that Jesus loves you. That God Almighty who created you has a plan for your life 
has a love for you that you don't even have for yourself. He knows you better than yourself. And that God Almighty who created this universe stepped out of eternity and became a man, lived among us a sinful life and died in your place, took your sins, sinless. He, he lived a sinless life and died in your place on the cross so that you could be made right with God. That's the good news. That's the good news. That is good news. It's not a program. It's a declaration that there is good news, that there is life, real life for you when you accept Jesus. So Jesus said, wherever this good news, wherever this gospel is preached, for, for, forever this woman's memory will be uh, um, remembered. <laughs> this woman's memory will be remembered. <laughs> Will be preached throughout the world. The woman in the first service, man, I mixed up so many words. Um, we're not posting that one, probably. So, uh, the good news, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And I'll tell you what, 2,000 years later, we're talking about what she did. And that was an amazing thing. Extravagance is a wonderful thing. Your praise for God extravagantly. A lot of times we have a problem with extravagant praise because we're worried more about us than, than, than praising Him. We have no problem in our culture with painting half of our body blue and going to a, a game and you know cheering for our favorite football team and being really weird. We have no problem with that. But oh boy, if you lift your hands or do anything in church, you're, you're a fanatic. When we're worshiping Almighty God, this, this lady, this woman of the street, extravagantly worshiped and praised God. So here's the stuff that we're going to take away. It's very practical for us today. Number one, don't be offended, please. None of us here are poor. You might think you are, but you're not. One of my favorite websites that we're going to go to right now, Josh is going to help take us there. It's called uh, globalrichlist.com. Uh, and so it is a, it's just a tool to see where we're at. And young people, I want you to take notice about this. Because oftentimes we compare ourselves with other people. We live in the richest nation on the earth, the richest na- nation in world history. So, it's a little uh, calculator here, and you punch in uh, that you're in the United States, we're here, and then you punch in the average uh, um, household income in California, this is how I knew this, because I already looked it up, $61,320, and you punch that in, and you find out, what what percentage, where do I fit in uh, against rich people and poor people, and so this is your answer, you are in, let's see, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, we're a frozen. Okay, here we go. USA dollar. Then we're going to punch in 61320 We're going to do this. And you are in the top one-fifth of 1% income in the world. You're a one percenter. You're way up in the one percenters. You're in the top fifth. So if the whole world only had 500 people in it, you would be the richest one. You'd be the top 500. Wow. How about some of you teenagers? You know, the average teenager, they don't think so. But the average teenager last year spent $9,626, mostly coming from their parents. 
I might add. These are all up-to-date stats. So if you are punched in here, that's your income, $9,325. You're in the top 85% tile. You're richer than 80, 84%, 84%, 85% of all the people in the world. And that's just your spending money on clothes and stuff, movies and snacks and iTunes. <laughs> and that hidden gum in your room that you know that you have, that you're not supposed to have. And having to repay for that retainer you lost. You know, all this, this money that American teenagers get. All right? You're wealthy. In, in fact, in, in the United States this year, the poverty level is designated at $24,250. Let's find out. If you're in poverty, and the poverty level in the United States at $24,250, let's see where that is. You are in top 2% of the world's wealth. Go to that, figure out, and you can scroll down on each one of those pages, find out how many hours it takes you to, to uh, buy a Coke and how many hours it takes somebody from Zimbabwe to buy a Coke. So for American teenagers, it takes about uh, 37 seconds for you to earn enough money to buy a Coke, and in Zimbabwe, you have to work 12 hours to buy a Coke. So let me say it again. We're not talking about us when we're talking about poor. God is our provider. And he sustains us anyway. And if you compare yourself with other people, you're, you're getting off on the wrong track because you are a child of the king. And you have an inheritance. There is a will, God's will. And he says, you are my child and you have all the rights and privileges as my child. He's our provider. Our identity is in Christ. It's not in our bank account. All right? However, some of us, might have a poverty spirit. Poverty spirit. I want to talk about what that is. Uh, spirit of poverty is, is more than just not having money. You can have a wealthy person with a poverty mindset. Spirit of poverty, poverty spirit, spirit uh, poverty mindset, that's all the same thing. It's this poverty cloak that comes upon us. Uh, People can have lots of money and still have a, a, a poverty spirit. I, I've seen a lot of people who are, are wealthy and have a poverty spirit. And, and Terry and I have seen poor people, what we call poor people, have a wealth mentality, a generous spirit, an understanding that God is their provider. When, when the wall in East Berlin, and uh, if you haven't studied this in history, uh, go to your teachers, go to your professor and say, please, I want to talk about Berlin, uh, the Iron Curtain falling. And so uh, much of the wor world was behind this, what we called the Iron Curtain. It was under communism. Con communism denied that there is God. Communism is atheistic. There is no God, they say. And uh, the state is supreme, and human beings are more important than anything else. And we're going to share the wealth, and we're going to do this. And so uh, they, they put up this barrier. And so in 1989, October or November of 1989, uh, the Soviet, old Soviet Union just collapsed. And so all of Eastern Europe and uh, parts around the world uh, became open to the gospel for the first time in 40 years. And, and so we, our church, we went over there several times to minister in churches that had been in East Germany. And we stayed in some wretched conditions. It would be like, 
It would be like if we all got up and walked away from Placerville and came back 35 years later and just see the condition of the buildings with no repairs, no touch-ups, no maintenance, no anything. What would it look like? That's pretty much what the country of East Germany looked like. Yet on the inside of the houses, we go on the inside, and usually it was Christians' homes that we went to, and on the inside, even though it looked like time warp, you're going back to 1952 with their furniture and their uh, everything. It looked old, old-fashioned uh, in there. Yet the houses were full of warmth and full of joy, and they were meticulously maintained. And if there was a little tiny rip in something, they would fix it, and they would take care of it because they knew that they wouldn't be getting any more. And they were generous with us, and they would lay out as good of a spread as they could with their, with their money. And when we first went over there, about 200 American dollars would be the average salary for a month of the people over there. And we, almost every place we went, they gave us a little gift. We have a few little knickknacks in our house now um, that, are, that families gave us that had been passed down from generation to generation, little glass figurines or something. And they said, we want you to have this. There's this wonderful attitude. They weren't poor. They had nothing, but they weren't poor. Does that make sense? They didn't have this uh, poverty mindset. Uh, poverty spirit says, I can't, and a wealthy spirit says, God can. A poverty spirit feels weak, and a wealthy spirit feels strong. Even uh, Jesus referred to this Speaking to the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, he said, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. All right? There's other things besides money that cause wealth, and there's other things. We have to get away from this thing of comparing ourselves with others. Now, don't confuse this poverty spirit with being poor in spirit when Jesus was preaching the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, poor in spirit. Remember when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus explained that the poor in spirit are blessed. This is from Life Application Bible Commentary. The poor in spirit realize that they cannot please God on their own. They are poor or bankrupt inwardly, unable to give anything of value to God, and thus must depend on his mercy. Only those who humbly depend on God are admitted into the kingdom of heaven. So a little bit of a poverty mindset chart here, just to explain it a little bit further. When dealing with material goods, with things, a poverty spirit hoards. Um, a few years ago, Terry told me, she said, Steve, you're a hoarder. We, we do a lot of traveling, and so when you stay overnight at a motel, you know, you get this little shampoo and the soap and all that stuff. Well, I had this whole drawer full of shampoos and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, well, they gave it to us. And she goes, but you don't need it. And so, but I said, my favorite shampoo's in there. You know, my favorite one, the, the one hotel that, that I like their shampoo, not that I need it that bad, but shampoo <laughs> that I love that you can't buy anywhere else. They don't sell it anywhere else. It only, you can only get it at this motel. And so I had to admit she was right. I had to go to God and say, God, please heal me of this poverty mentality. I grew up with that. It was just always comparing, never, never having enough. We, we had all we needed. We were, we were fine, but it was always to get this, get this, it's free, it's like this. Get, get this. Just this kind of poverty uh, mentality, so to speak. And so I got rid of them all, except the ones that I really like, the ones that I'll use. And so gave all the other ones away to hospice or something. And 
Um, a poverty spirit hoards. A middle class spirit lives to shop. And a wealthy material goods spirit lives to give. When referring to time, a poverty spirit lives in the past and survives one day at a time. A middle class spirit lives in the present and a wealthy spirit lives for eternity and blessing the next generation. When praying, a poverty spirit prays to survive, and a middle-class spirit prays to succeed, and a wealthy spirit prays to bless. When dealing with pain, a poverty spirit wants to escape in silence or explode in anger. A middle-class spirit works to get out of pain, and a wealthy spirit stays the course. I will keep my nose above the waves. I will press on. When having a kingdom view or a world view, a poverty spirit thinks their local world is the center of the world. They're, they're, they're local, just this local. A middle-class spirit thinks Judea and Samaria, and a wealthy kingdom mindset thinks to the ends of the earth. See the difference there? God is our provider. He is our source. And when we're his children, we don't, we don't have those needs, and we don't have to have these comparisons and dissatisfactions with our life because my life is not like that person's on TV, which nobody on TV is that's a real life, by the way. I just want to break it to you. Nobody on TV, none of them, that's a real Even the reality shows, that's not their real life. So they can have stuff that we don't have but they might be devoid of most other things. Number three, all of us can help the poor, and Jesus said, whenever we want. Whenever we want. Mark 14, 7, once again, you'll always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want. Solomon wrote this psalm. Uh, David wrote a lot of psalms, but he didn't write all of them. This one was written by Solomon. And he's, he's praying for himself as the king, and he says, Give your love of justice to the king, O God, and righteousness to the king's son. Help him, this means help me, judge your people in the right way. Let the poor always be treated fairly. This is the wisest man who ever lived, praying, God help me, treat the poor fairly. May the mountains yield prosperity for all, and may the hills be fruitful. Help him to defend the poor and to rescue the children of the needy. All right? So let's give a couple of practical applications. Number one, here's an idea. Quit hoarding those shampoos, all right? Quit hoarding. Some of us hoard other things. Um, And I know that right now a lot of people in this church are caring for elderly parents. And you got to go through their stuff. And, you know, you're going through whatever. There's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff that you don't need, and you don't need to have your kids go through that later on. Clean it up yeah. now. I mean, quit, quit hoarding. There's, there's stuff that other people... If you haven't used something in two years, give it away. Let somebody else who can use it, use it. And then if you actually do need it, they'll lend it back to you. You know? Um, how about giving uh, a few bucks toward benevolence every week? Do you know what benevolence is in the New Testament? It was called almsgiving, alms for the poor. Today we call it benevolence. I don't know why. We changed the word. It's alms, benevolence, same thing, giving to the poor. If each uh, adult in this church, if you're a teenager 
and older. So teens through adults. If each one of those people gave five bucks a week in this church toward benevolence, toward almsgiving, toward the poor, above their normal giving, and you can get, you could eke out five extra bucks a week. It's a, it's 50 cents for a coffee at, at uh, McDonald's, five bucks for coffee at Starbucks, a movie, a sandwich, a lunch, you know, somehow you can eke out, eke out five bucks above and beyond. If each person gave five bucks in this church, we could give about $90,000, to $100,000 away to the poor every year in this church. And I, I want to commit to you in, in front here and with the elders, standing with the elders here, every cent that comes in this church that's designated toward benevolence goes toward benevolence. There's no administrative cost. There's no anything. There's no percentage. Every, it's 100%. It always has been that way since I've been here. Every cent goes, goes to that. And so um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourselves little shampoos here on earth. <laughs> God really had to deal with me on that. It was like, oh my goodness. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your heart in your 401k? Or is your heart in eternity? Is your treasure in your kids and grandkids? Yes, of course it is, because they come to eternity with you. That's about the only thing. If they say yes to Jesus, that's all you can take with you. You can't take your stuff. So Jesus said, don't lay up tre- for, uh, for yourselves treasures here where they can get stolen, they can get rusted, they can break. And when you have grandchildren living with you for a couple weeks, like we have now, things break. <laughs> they have. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. And Paul, when he went back to Jerusalem, reporting on his missionary journey and reaching the Gentiles for Jesus. He said, we've done this and this and this, and there's been a little bit of controversy about whether they have to follow the law, the Jewish law. These are people that are not Jews. And, and they came up to this, no, if God, if God is going to save them and give them the gospel, that's great. Just tell them to remember the poor. That was their only exhortation. Remember the poor. And stay away from things offered to idols. That's just, you know, stay away from controversies, petty things. Here's another idea. Get your kids involved. Teach them. Number one, teach your kids this about finances. Everything, if you're a believer, everything you have belongs to God. If you've truly given your heart to Jesus, everything you have, your stuff, your time, your calendar, your money, your goods, everything belongs to God. If you can't get past that, there's no sense talking about anything financial in the Bible or in the kingdom. God is the owner. He is the king. I am his subject. It all belongs to him. He graciously lets me be steward over all this stuff and represent him in my sphere of influence. So teach them that. Bring... Bring your small group on, on, on board. Get creative. Ask God for some creative ideas, how you can uh, bless those in your sphere. that doesn't actually cost you all that much. There's a great book out called 100, 101 Ways to 
uh, Bless Your Community or Impact Your Community, written by a guy named Steve Sogren. You can get it on Amazon. It's just a few bucks. And they're just little paragraphs, just ideas. One group in there, they, they, they saved up. They're a small group. They saved up for months and months and months and got a big, big pile of money, big wad of money, then went and made arrangements with a gas station and said, we'll, we'll pay down the gas for each person that comes in. So they held up big signs out, gasoline, $1 a gallon. Do you, you imagine how big the line was? Very fast. The line went all the way down the street, and if the, if the gas cost two fifty, they would pay the difference for each person that went in there until they were out of money. And they said, we just want to bless you in Jesus' name. Uh, one of our small groups recently did something like this. And I, th- I said I was going to do this. For years, I said I was going to do this. And I never did until this week. I said, I'm preaching. I better do this. So make up a little kit like this, a little uh, goodie bag. You know when somebody's on the street and you don't want to give them money? You just kind of feel funny about giving them money. You can give them a little pack with some wet ones and a little first aid kit and a juice and a water and Skittles and $10 McDonald's card and just give them a pack. Say, Jesus loves you. That's all the time I have, but I just want you to know that you're cared for. Just have these handy. You could uh, come up with, with your own creative idea in your small group. Uh, years ago in our old church, there was a small group that was praying about an idea. And one of the guys said, how about if we... How about if we uh, feed the homeless on Thanksgiving? So they, they did. They, they made a big dinner. Their home group got together. They went to a park and, and fed the homeless on Thanksgiving. And it was a huge success. A lot of people came. All the food was gone. They wrapped up. They were going home. And this one guy in the group who organized it, he was a businessman. He was an entrepreneur. His name was Rich. And uh, he felt the Lord say to him on the way home, those people are hungry every day. So he goes, hmm. So he thought of an idea, and he got the group together, and they said, let's start a ministry. And they created this, this thing. Uh, they called it a food pack. And basically, it was two bags, two paper bags of groceries, packed in a perfectly uh, routine way, or you know, just Tetris. You know, just everything's packed in there just right. It had a little meal plan they would stick in there. They'd give them a certificate for a safe way so they can get fresh milk and bread and you know butter, things like that. And this pack would feed a family of four for a week. And so if somebody was struggling, getting behind on bills, they didn't have money for grocery bills and their gas bill, here's some groceries for a week, you know, pay your gas bill. Just things like that, just things. So this, this closet became very... Uh, popular at the church. And we had to overcome the thing where people say, yeah, go to the church and they'll just help you. you know? No, actually, it's me. I'll take you there and I'll pray with you and I'll meet with you and, and we'll talk to you and, yeah, and here's some food. We want to bless you as well. And so that outgrew our closet at the church. And so they down the street, they rented a little storage closet. It was probably one of those six-foot-by-eight-foot rooms, and pretty soon that was too full, so they rented a garage-sized storage room, and then pretty soon they had three garage storage, and they had a big, huge team, a whole bunch of the people, and then other churches were joining in, helping pack these food packs. They were giving away uh, every month, and that was thousands of meals and uh, that they were giving away. It was just getting bigger and bigger, and they started getting uh, contributions and support around, and, and then pretty soon... To make a long story short, they had a warehouse uh, space offered to them, probably about the size of the Save Mart up on Broadway. It's not like a full-size, huge supermarket, but a good-size warehouse. 
and they got two semi-tractor trailer trucks and they started doing USDA uh, surplus. Right, right now, just a couple years ago when I talked to Rich Moore uh, lately, they, this ministry is called Dovetail Ministries. Uh, now here, 25 years into it, they are the largest nonprofit distributor of USDA surplus in the nation. And number two group that gives away USDA surplus, they, they're three times bigger than number two. They are way number one. And they give away several million meals a year. That's a home group. <laughs> That's amazing. If you all know Doug Nelson in the church here, that was his parents' home group. And Rich Moore went to that group, and Doug was just a teenager. And you, you can actually make a difference. You could volunteer with Terry Laura once, once a month up at the upper room and, and feed the needy in here. There's no reason why this church couldn't have four nights a month instead of one night a month. There, there's all kinds of things that we can do outside of ourselves that don't cost uh, that much. Get your kids involved. Get your small group on board. Maybe sponsor a child from a reputable ministry. There's a lot of unreputable <laughs> disreputable ministries out there. There's a bunch of good ones where the money that you give basically goes to support a kid. There's, there's, there's no formula here. Just ask God for an idea. Um, number three, be a, be a cheerful giver. What I see in scriptures, I see several ways to give. One is tithe. We're not under the law, but the tithe is still there for us. That's a way to show God that we understand that it all belongs to Him and that we are stewards and we're depending upon Him for our protection. The tithe is for protection. God says, I'll rebuke the devourer when you tithe. And then the offering is for production. When you see 30, 60, 100-fold increase, that's offering. Offerings, you have a little bit of choice where to go. The tithe belongs in the storehouse where you get fed. But an offering, you could say, well, I'd like it to go to this over here, this over here. And between you and God, that's his stuff, but you're sending it off in that direction. We see a couple of specific types of offerings in the Bible. One is for the poor, benevolence or almsgiving. Our coffee pots back there, our church, and our church is not an institution. Our church is people. People, it's us. We've agreed to buy coffee for us because one of our main values is fellowship, coffee and tea and stand around and talk. And so we pay for that. But we also think, you know, you go to a store and you buy something, maybe once in a while throw something in there and we'll give 100% of that toward the needy. So if you're a coffee drinker, regular coffee drinker, throw something in there once in a while above your normal giving and let God use that and multiply that. And, um, so we see tithes, offerings, we see almsgiving and missional giving or giving toward missionaries or apostolic. You know, missionary and apostle, they're the same word. Missionary is translated in into uh, Latin, and apostle is translated into Greek. It just means sent ones. And so you can give your normal giving. A lot of people in this church, they'll give their tithe, and then they'll put a few dollars in for each of those categories. It just adds up. It builds up when we all uh, contribute. I just want to say this as a way of honoring God and, and uh, kind of bragging on this church. 
I, I, am, I am proud of this church. We are a very mercy-hearted, very generous church. If you need something, you'll find somebody around here that will help you out. If they can, they will. Uh, but in the last few years, this church has given away, in this community, well over $120,000 into this community. Yes, we've sowed out for church plants and other nations and things, but we also sow into this community. We've given out away well over $62,000 for the upper room to help buy food uh, over the years for, for the needy in this area, and over $27,000 to Hope House. It's a ministry over at Green Valley that helps moms and their kids get back on their feet. And we believe in these. We don't run this ministry. We, we don't want to recreate the will, but we support these things. This church has been very generous. And over $27,000 to the Crisis Pregnancy Center downtown to help uh, young moms in crisis so that they have alternatives uh, to take in the life of their child. And, and, and we really do believe in, in putting our money where our mouth is. We don't have to as a local church, but we do because we want to represent the generosity of Almighty God. Nobody is more generous than he is for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. And so Paul said this. This is probably the most prescriptive passage on money. A lot of passages are descriptive. This is what they did. This is saying what you should do. Paul says this, Remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's another misused verse. God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, like this. But the context is when you're giving and when you're sowing, you'll reap. That's the context there. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you for this exhortation to remember the poor. God, we want to do that. We don't want to be people that are poor uh, and poverty mindset type people. We know we want to be rich in you and understand that you are a provider and you're the giver of every good gift. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.